And so, um, and what we determined a few weeks ago, what we said simply, the way we summarize it, is that the mission of God's church is to make followers of Jesus. Right? People who are learning from Jesus how to live. We're to make followers of Jesus. To use the Bible's language, we make disciples. That's what a disciple is. Somebody who's learning from Jesus how to live. And starting today, I want to look at the three areas where that occurs. Worship, community, and mission. Followers of Jesus engage in worship. They engage in community. And they engage in mission. Followers of Jesus are shaped by worship, community, and mission. Or, if you want to look at it another way, worship is why... We exist. Community is who we are. And mission is what we do. Worship, community, and mission. Today we begin with worship. And our passage is going to be Luke chapter 10. I'm going to start reading in verse 38. Luke is one of four accounts of Jesus' life. Uh, If you're using the Pew Bible there, you can turn to page 869. It's where you'll find it. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke tells us this, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help. We are worshipers, and yet we worship so many things. Teach us, Lord, that thing which is necessary, the one thing. Help us to build our lives. Uh, rather, Lord, we, uh, we already build our lives around what we worship. Help us to worship You. We ask for Your help in understanding this passage. Bless the preaching, the reading, the hearing of Your Word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Do we, uh, do we believe that? Do I believe that one thing is necessary? Kurt Steinhaus uh, wrote a book, Can I Have Your Attention? And he begins it with the story of Harry. I just want to read this for you. At 9 a.m. on Wednesday, Harry tackles a major case study due Friday. He's starting a day early, leaving nothing to chance. By the third line, Harry stops mid-stroke. 
He needs Rachel's numbers from yesterday. After a quick control S, he switches to email and finds among 74 messages waiting there an invite for a department meeting this afternoon. Is he even available? Switching to his calendar, Harry sees Vegas. He winces. The trip is only two weeks away and he hasn't arranged travel yet. But Harry isn't just responsive, he's also responsible, which means he can't book a flight now, not without comparing prices. Off the calendar and onto his browser to scan prices. He could swear one of the companies used a pitchman from the old Star Trek series. Harry's dad loves Star Trek, which reminds him that he needs to find the J.J. Abrams reboot on Netflix. Or is it Amazon? He opens two new tabs to check. Not on either. But there's nothing else to watch. His girlfriend hates when he says, get whatever. 35 minutes later, Harry has booked a flight, watched three trailers, texted movie suggestions to his girlfriend, and added some shows he heard about to their Netflix and Amazon list. Now he can return to what he was doing. What was he doing? Right, the case study. Let's see, he was about at the very beginning. Does that sound familiar? Listen to this contrast from Psalm 27. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Now, if you feel like that language sounds maybe a little feminine, surely a a man's man wouldn't quite put it like that. That psalm was written by a man named David, who happened to be a king. He was a better hunter than you, and he killed more people than you ever have. Right? He knew how to fight, he knew how to hunt, and he knew what was most important in life, even if he didn't always hit it. Harry and David. Now, even if your life is quieter than Harry's, my guess is that you probably still fight to find that one thing that is necessary. We are really good at being distracted. But we're talking about worship. What do you think of when you hear that word, worship? What images come to mind? Maybe it's hands lifted. Maybe it's people singing. Maybe it's heads bowed. Maybe it's people on their faces bowing. Maybe it's prayer. But let's talk more about the... Let's not focus so much on the action of worship as what is at the heart underneath. You may have heard this before, but our word worship uh, actually comes to us from the old English word that means to show honor or to show worth, worth-ship. And so we have contracted that down to worship. What is, what is it that we show the most worth to? Worship is showing what we value as worthy. What we value as worthy, that is what we worship. That is what it means to worship, to show worth and honor, to give things weight. Bob Dylan says you're going to serve somebody. Yes, you're going to serve somebody. 
It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're always going to serve somebody. Dylan's right. We're always worshiping. There's never a moment when we stop. The question is, what is it that we worship? Who is it that we worship? That's the battle I would argue that every single one of us faces on a daily basis at the deepest level. At the deepest level, we're always answering the worship question. What is worthy of my affection? What is worthy of my attention? And so uh, we have this episode between Jesus and Martha and Mary. Uh, and what we're going to see is that worship, really, when we, when, it, when we boil it down, worship is the pursuit of the one thing necessary. That's what worship is. If we're going to be a, a community of worshipers, a church that worships, it means that we learn are learning from Jesus to pursue the one thing necessary. In fact, it's the very reason why we exist. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is just a summary of biblical truths, the very first question says, what is man's chief end? What is man's purpose? The answer, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, maybe you've never put those two things together. Glorify God and enjoy Him. I think for most of us, we tend to view God in a very transactional way, right? I do this, He does this, or even if we want to reverse it, He does this, so I respond this way, right? It's this give and take, and that's how I glorify God. But it's interesting that the the Westminster Assembly uh, that came up with that question uh, put those two things together, right? That to glorify God is to enjoy Him. That, in fact, we glorify the things that we enjoy, do we not? You worship what you enjoy. And you don't worship what you don't enjoy. We worship what we enjoy. We glorify God and we enjoy Him. That is, that is why we were made. That is the reason we exist. So how do we see this playing out? I just want to break this sermon. It's going to be fairly simple. I just want to break this down in these two character studies, right? We have Martha and we have Mary. And we're going to try to be really nice to Martha because this is where most of us fall, okay? Um, we have Martha and we have Mary. So let's, so let's set the scene. Jesus is coming to town. It's not really clear at this point in the story just what exactly um, Mary and Martha believe about Jesus, right? Uh, it's not clear whether... The, we know for sure that none of the followers of Jesus really grasped who he was until after the resurrection, okay? So it's not as if... Like if you had asked Martha, hey, who is Jesus? At this point, it's not clear whether she would say, oh, he's truly God and truly man and he has come to save us from our sins, Right? Probably didn't have all of that in her head, but Jesus is an honored teacher. He's a rabbi. He's a miracle worker. And we learn from John's gospel that he's a friend, that he was a good friend of this family of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And hospitality is a huge cultural value, right? That uh, in this day and time, to not... Show honor by having this person in your home with a meal uh, would have been 
cultural suicide, right? It, was, it would have been a bad idea. This is, this is just what you did. And so Jesus comes to town, and so it makes perfect sense that Martha would prepare her home and prepare a meal to welcome and honor Jesus. Makes perfect sense. But there's a little bit of tension in the house, right? Um, verse 39, right, we get introduced to Martha, we get introduced to Mary, and we see that Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet listening to His teaching. Uh, but Martha says Martha was distracted with much serving. Distracted with much serving. That word distracted, I love this. One of the, one of the Greek dictionaries defined it this way. To drag all around or figuratively to be distracted. To drag all around. Isn't that a great, is that not the perfect description of every push notification that comes on your phone? Right? Does it, are we not constantly dragged all around to this, to that, to this, to that? What a great picture of being distracted. Did you know that's actually what the makers of all the apps intend for you to do, right? The, the measure of success for an app producer is to get you into the app and keep you there. That's why every time you install a new one and you open it, it asks if, you, if it can send you notifications. Because if it can send you notifications and you can click on it and you get in it, they've got you. That's what, I'm just telling you, that's not nefarious or anything like that. Like, that's what they're after, okay? Uh, their goal is to pull you in. And so, which is fine if you only have one app on your phone. But you have hundreds. And they're all like little birds chirping in a nest. Like, feed me, feed me, feed me, right? So you end up being dragged all around. It says that Martha is distracted, but she's distracted with much serving. Uh, this is this word serving is the same word uh, that translated in other places, ministry. It's where we get our word deacon from. To do ministry is to serve. And what's important about this is that Martha is ministering to Jesus, right? Martha is serving Jesus. It's not, uh, it's, it's a good thing, right? We are pro-ministry. We are pro-service. We like, uh, we like for people to serve. We want to encourage that. So it's a, it's a good thing that Martha is doing, right? Uh, but this is instructive for us because for most of us, the things that drag us around are actually good things, right? The things that distract us are good things, right? We want our, it's not, it's not like we're having to choose between axe murder and reading the Bible. Okay? You know, like that's an easy choice. Um, our problem is that we have lots of good things to choose from, right? We want our, we want our kids to play sports, so we gotta go do this, which of course means we, I have to coach that. Because uh, I want to be involved with my kids and their lives, so we got that covered. Uh, we also want to do this over here. We want to be involved in the community, so I got that. We want to do that. We want to we want to do hospitality, so we got to have people over. So we got that distraction over here. But again, we're just we're doing ministry. We're busy. All of them good things. It's not as if most of our choices are between a couple of bad options and a good option. It's between so many good. Options. Martha is doing a good thing. She's serving. That's good. 
But the irony is that she's so busy working for Jesus that she's not even listening to Jesus. She's so busy serving Jesus that she's not paying any attention to Jesus. She's missed the best thing. Uh, Jim Collins, the business guru, wrote a book called From Good to Great. And his point in the whole book is that the reason most companies aren't great, most schools aren't great, uh, most uh, organizations aren't great, is because they simply settle for good. Right? His contention is that the good is the enemy of the great. Rather than pursue the one thing, we're just going to hang out right here with lots of good things. Right? We, we sell ourselves short. So the irony of Martha is that she's so busy serving the Lord that she's not actually paying any attention to Him. Right? And it, you see this in the way that she addresses Jesus. Look at how she talks to Him. She says in, in verse 40, Lord, she addresses him with an honor, an honoring title. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So, first, she insults his abilities of observation, right? Uh, he, she insults his, his care, right? That he's, he's not caring. Clearly, if he were caring, he would have said something about this already. So you hear in Martha's tone, like, she knows better. She knows what the Lord needs to do. And she's going to tell him, right? Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. That's right. She gives Jesus a command, um, which actually happens a good bit um, in, the, in the Gospels. Um, so the irony is that she calls him Lord, but then doesn't treat him like Lord. She calls him Lord and then tells him what he needs to get done. Because clearly she needs some help serving. Uh, and what's the result? Jesus uh, answers her. And I love how he answers her. Martha, Martha. Right? Says her name twice. Jesus does this, gets attention. Basically, whatever's about to follow is very important. So it's, it's almost as if Jesus takes her, her face, you know, cause you can imagine, I mean, we're, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of sanctified imagination here, but you can imagine that she's just, she's huffy and puffy. The hair's probably out of sorts a little bit. She's probably sweating, um, right? And she's looking all around. She's, she's probably shooting daggers at Mary. Um, who knows? She's probably, she may even be saying this in front of the whole room. Uh, cause Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, so she's being passive aggressive, right? She's like, Lord, don't you care that Mary's not helping? Right? And it's almost as if Jesus just takes her face in his hands and puts both hands on either side and says, Martha, Martha, just, just look at me for a minute. Martha, you are anxious. And troubled about many things. What's the result of a distracted heart? Anxiety and trouble. She is anxious and troubled about many things. Good things. But anxious about many things. Is that not true of us as well? Right? Uh, that when we lose sight 
of the one thing, we become anxious and troubled about many things. When we lose sight of the one thing, we become anxious and troubled about many things. We become worried and overly concerned. Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. In other words, Mary... Martha, you are, you are worried about many things. Mary has chosen the good thing, and I'm not about to let that go. Mary has, has chosen the one thing necessary. Verse 42, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen that thing. So, that's Martha. Let's go over and let's look at Mary. Now, is Jesus being hard on Martha? I mean, somebody's got to get the cooking done. Somebody's got to get the cleaning done. And I know there are some busy bees in the room that as soon as you... In fact, I talked with somebody about this passage this week. And his response was, yeah, I've always struggled to understand that passage. Because, I mean... Sure, you can be going through the motions, but you know, you're more likely to kind of get into the mood of worship if you're actually going through the motions as opposed to just sitting there. Right? I think our, our fault in reading this is that we think, oh, well, Mary's just, Mary's not doing anything. She's just being lazy. She's just sitting down while, her, like that, there's some busy bees in here. I know that's exactly what you're thinking about Mary. Like, well, if I don't, if I don't do it, who is going to do it? Sure, you contemplative folks, you go sit on your hands and you just stare off into space. The rest of us will get the job done, okay? All right, that's not what Mary's doing. In fact, at least one commentator says that when, uh, when, Martha, when, when Martha looks at Jesus and says, um, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone, implies that Mary and Martha were working together to get things ready. And then when Jesus got there, Mary stopped and went to go be with Jesus. Uh, and Martha just kept going. So, at any rate, uh, it's not like Mary's just kind of lazing about, right? She's not just scrolling Instagram over there while her sister works really hard. Um, notice her posture. Look at verse 39, how, how Luke describes her. He says, uh, she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. Like, that's the posture of worship. When we boil it down, right, that's the one thing that is necessary. I mean, David, you know, that, that psalm I read from David, one thing will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that I may gaze upon His beauty in the temple. Right? That's what, that's what Mary is doing. She's sitting at Jesus' feet and she's listening. She's, she's being with Jesus. That's actually the greatest thing she could have done at that moment. And what Martha needs to hear is, we don't need seven courses, two will do. We don't have to cook eight desserts. We don't really even need dessert. Be done with what you're working on and come sit down and be with Jesus. Right? That, that Mary's posture is one of worship. Right? To sit at Jesus' feet to learn from Him. That doesn't mean that Mary never did anything else. It doesn't mean that Mary was a couch potato or she watched Netflix all the time. No. 
Uh, and it doesn't mean, by the way, that the greatest, most spiritual thing you can do is hold yourself up in a monastery and read books and chant all day. Right? That's not... I don't think Jesus is blessing that, right? That, that there are other places, other commands we have to work, to work hard, to do good to our neighbor, to excel in good works, all of those things, right? So it's not as if, um, but, but what's m- the one thing that is most necessary is what Mary is doing. She is sitting at Jesus' feet to learn from Him. She understood the one thing that was necessary. Now, what do we do with that? Right, uh, Pastor Tony Giles, he uh, he says that most of us kind of, when it comes to spirituality, and this may be true even of your January, right? If you had some, you know, some good resolutions about how often you were going to read the Bible or pray more or whatever, most of us, when it comes to spirituality, live in what he calls the tyranny of the oughts. Right? I ought to read my Bible more. I ought to. Pray more. I ought to not, I ought not to work on my grocery list while I'm listening to the sermon, right? I should pay better attention. Alright, and most of us, that's how we approach spirituality, like this tyranny of the oughts. And so we're, again, like, like Martha, we're being tugged in all of these different directions. We're distracted with lots of good oughts. But what, but what Giles says is this, what rules the heart shapes the life. What rules the heart shapes the life. And what is ruling Mary's heart at this moment in this story is listening to Jesus. Jesus is ruling Mary's heart. Right? Martha, I don't know what's ruling her heart. She probably wants to do really, really good things. But she's revealing by her actions that something else is ruling her heart. When Jesus is right in front of her face... And she won't sit down and listen to him. What rules the heart shapes the life. So I don't want you to hear this sermon and say, okay, worship more, right? What I want you to see is that Jesus is worthy of worship. I want, I want us to be like David, who was so it's just just like the uh, the psalm we read at the beginning of the worship service, right? Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Those aren't oughts. He's not saying, God, I know my soul should thirst for you. My flesh should faint for you, right? He's a he's a thirsty man looking for water, and he knows the only place to find it. That's worship. Right? And look at what he says. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. David knows God's character. He knows what God has done, and therefore he responds in gladness and worship. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Right? That is, that is what, that is what, that is what prods us. That's what moves us to true worship. When God rules our hearts, gives shape to our lives. So what, what hope then do we have? Right? If you, if you're like me, you hear this and you go, okay, crap. 
I need to stop being so busy, and I need to start being, you know, I need to start listening to Jesus more. What hope do busy, distracted uh, people have? I want you to notice how this passage begins. Look at verse, uh, verse 38. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus and His friends are going somewhere. They're heading in a direction. And if you bump back a little bit, you see where they're going. This whole section begins in chapter 9, verse 51. When the days drew near for Him to be taken up, He set His face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus set His face like flint towards Jerusalem. He was intent on one thing, Jerusalem. What's in Jerusalem? What's waiting for Him in Jerusalem? The cross. Jesus is intent on doing His Father's will. He is not distracted. He is not being dragged around by lots of little chirping voices. He is pursuing the one thing. And He is pursuing the one thing so that all the rest of us who aren't very good at pursuing the one thing can be made whole, so that we can learn to pursue the one thing. Jesus is pursuing His Father's will, and that is the cross for you and for me. Worship begins at Calvary. When we worship, just as David said, right, I know that your steadfast love is better than life. Because of what you have done, I will worship. Our worship begins at Calvary. We worship because Jesus obeyed His Father's will and went to the cross. So if you struggle, if you struggle, if you battle to figure out how to pursue the one thing that is necessary, look to Jesus. Don't miss it. Don't look past Jesus. Don't be so busy working for Jesus that you miss Jesus. See the Jesus who set His face to go to Jerusalem to ransom sinners from the dead. Let's pray.